You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Ashley Voss. This is WFHB Local News for Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. Later in the program, Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin reports on the usage of PDF files within city government. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Low Bub's Low Show, a co-production between WFHB and Low Bub's Big Fund. But first, your local headlines. The Monroe County Solid Waste Management District Board met on November 9th. First, the board discussed the 2024 district holiday schedule. Monroe County Solid Waste Executive Director Tom McGlasson outlined the three holiday schedules. As, as we do every year, and unfortunately, it's, it's kind of a complicated resolution uh, because of the varying operating schedules uh, of our different facilities. Uh, so we had, the resolution includes three different uh, holiday schedules, one for the administration building, one for the South Walnut facility, uh, and one for the rural, uh, rural sites. Um, as we've historically done uh, in an effort to equal out the amount of paid holiday time employees get, um, uh, we, we relate everything back to the amount of time the administration employees are getting. Um, because that tends to be the department that gets the most number of holidays uh, because of the varying schedules. Uh, so uh, you can see on page uh, uh, page 36 of the packet, I believe, uh, does have a chart showing that comparison of how the holiday schedule breaks down uh, by the differing, differing employee, employee schedules that we have. Uh, and you see the re- resulting in... Um, uh, three different amounts, schedules of floating holidays provided to South Walnut employees based on their schedule rotations, uh, and six floating holidays uh, being provided uh, to the Friday-Saturday site operators. Uh, and then the, all, all relating back and based on the administration a proposed holiday schedule, which does mirror uh, the holiday schedule adopted by Monroe County. The board voted unanimously to approve the 2024 district holiday schedule. Next, the board discussed compensation for the executive director. County Council Member Jeff McKim introduced the issue and shared that in other counties, the position receives a higher salary. Okay, so now we have a, uh, this is not a voting item, although it could possibly impact the next voting item. Uh, And that is a discussion on the uh, compensation for the executive director. And I just want to note for the record that this is a a topic that was brought up by members of the executive committee. This is not um, something that uh, the executive director himself has brought up. Um, I know it it puts puts any uh, official in an awkward position to be discussing their own salary, but uh, just want to let everybody know that this was something that was brought up by the executive committee. Um, So first of all, we... um, I think this was spurred by the general thought that the executive director was being uh, undercompensated compared to uh, his peers at other 
uh, solid waste management districts. And thank you, Commissioner Gibbons uh, did a whole bunch of research, uh, pulled data from Gateway uh, and other sources uh, on both the salaries of, of comparable um, solid waste management districts. Uh, she pulled uh, information from the, their websites. Uh, we had the council office, the county council office also uh, get a couple of updated salaries that uh, Gateway didn't have. And uh, so Commissioner Giddens put together a, uh, a spreadsheet that, uh, that she handed out here uh, that has the information for Monroe County, Bartholomew County, Johnson County, and Hamilton County, which we felt were probably the most comparable uh, solid waste management districts. It's tough because as we learned, there's no such thing as, as truly comparable solid waste management district. Everyone has a little bit different set of services that they provide um, and number of employees and so on. County Commissioner Penny Givens shared her findings from other counties. As we were discussing this in the executive committee, um, we, we came to learn that there are different priorities in different districts. And so some of these districts you'll notice they don't take trash or if they take bulky items, they charge a fee. Um, I was surprised that um, in Bartholomew, they have two remote centers, but they only operate on Saturdays. So um, I think that from what I could tell from their websites, what we do in Monroe County is probably the most extensive of anybody that we that we looked at. Um, so I, I am in favor of providing more compensation, I guess, to Mr. McGlass, and I'm not sure what that should be at, but um, that's, where I stand. The board agreed the salary for the executive director should be increased in the future. Givens suggested that they increase it to $84,000. City Council Member Isabel Piedmont-Smith summarized the amendment to the salary ordinance to adjust the executive director's salary. Well, as was previously um, discussed, the salary of our executive director is quite low compared to um, other comparable districts, even districts that have um, no closed landfill to administer and fewer uh, pickup facilities um, and not as many services as we have. So I think it is uh, appropriate that we significantly increase um, our executive director salary. The board voted to approve the 2024 salary ordinance with the amendment increasing the executive director's salary. The Monroe County Solid Waste Management District Board will meet again on December 14th. The Bloomington Board of Public Works met on November 8th. Before approving the consent agenda, board member Jane Coopersmith first asked about how they selected the providers for the 2024 service agreements. Public Works Facilities Director J.D. Boroff responded. When we were reviewing them initially, I just had a question kind of about I guess the way the memos were prepared and talking about whether there were um, requests for proposals or how you come about entering into the agreements with these particular providers. And I know that you have a lot of experience with them, so we thought it would be helpful to have you talk about that. The service agreements cover work that in the past that we had done with preferred vendors where under the State Board of Accounts we could just approve at staff level. Um, and it was determined by the legal department controller's office that we had to have contracts with any vendor that came on city property to do work. Um, and this is just formalizing an agreement, basically a hold harmless as part of the contract. Um, the other part of the contract states their rates of service that they provide services at. 
And these services are all repair and maintenance related, uh, below the threshold that we would have to bid work out at. Uh, usually if work gets above $5,000, we have to get three quotes on that work. Or if we're doing a new installation or a, uh, a major capital improvement, we have to solicit quotes and get based on the cost of the estimated cost of the project. Um, like I said the, the types of repairs we do under the service agreements in the past, we did just call a preferred vendor to have them come and do the, the work for us. But this is a more formalized way to protect the city liability wise. Cooper Smith followed up asking how a service provider becomes a preferred vendor. Boroff and Coopersmith discussed this process. They're usually vendors that, that we have worked with in the past that we're familiar with and we're comfortable using. Uh, you know, our HVAC, primary HVAC uh, contractor is HFI. Uh, they're the company that initially installed the HVAC system here at City Hall 25 years ago and have kept it patched up and going ever since then. Uh, so it makes sense to have them. They're familiar with the system and we've used them a lot. Um, we are starting to branch out a little bit. We've got a, an agreement with commercial service now, um, and we will be probably at the beginning of the year uh, introducing a small agreement with Heflin Mechanical. Um, we feel that, you know, it's we need to give other local vendors an opportunity. Um, but, you know, basically it's just vendors that we've worked with in the past and we feel comfortable that are qualified and have performed well in the past. So it's almost like there are points of entry for other processes and it's through that that someone kind of builds a relationship and and um, not builds a relationship but they are able to demonstrate their reliability and the quality of work and then through that they kind of maybe can become yeah there's and there's been instances where we've kind of lost faith in a vendor and we went out and sought other vendors for contractual services um, we haven't went through the RFP process or you know, with, with service agreements, just because of the sheer volume we have. Um, but we do try to give uh, preference to local vendors. That's part of our, our mandate. So we, we do do that. Um, but like I said, these are primarily, uh, services that, that according to state board of accounts, we can approve at the staff level. They're maintenance and repair services. So it's something we normally wouldn't bid out. So the board approved the 2024 service agreements. Next, the board heard a request from Milestone Contractors for full street closure on West 2nd Street for Phase 1 of the Hopewell Project. Engineering Project Manager Zach Rogers shared details of the request. Uh, Milestone is requesting a full closure of 2nd Street uh, between, um, let's see, what is it between, oh, Morton, sorry, between Morton and Rogers. And it will use the uh, first street as a detour route. So it will be Rogers to first street to Walnut College. The north sidewalk will remain open on second street. That was the question. Um, message boards will be set up in two weeks in advance. Police, fire, and MCCSE will be notified via inroads. And the Bloomington Transit was notified today. Coopersmith asked if neighbors were notified of the closures. Rogers received confirmation that they would be notified. The board voted to approve the street closure request. The next Bloomington Board of Public Works meeting will be held on November 21st. The Bloomington Utility Services Board meeting met this Monday, November 6th. 
The financial advisor from Cronin Associates, Gerald Hall, explained the new bonds that he suggested should be approved before the current ones in place mature. Currently, you have um, one, two, three. You have six bonds outstanding. Okay, you have um, that. You have a 2013 refunding that matures on January 1st, 2025. Your 2006 bonds mature on um, January 1st, 2027, and 2019 refunding bonds that mature on January 1st, 2027. Those three are the only ones that mature within a reasonable amount of time. The rest of them are uh, the next ones out in 2030. So what has happened is, since we spoke, I look, um, the bonds we have issued in 21 and 20 kind of wrap around those falling off. So where those go away, we, we kind of pick up steam on the 2020 bond and the 21 refunding. And so um, we won't really recognize kind of a, a drop in debt service until uh, 2021 bonds um, mature in January 1, 2033. So we have effectively what we have is level combined debt service from, you know, uh, 2024 through 2033, and then it will fall off. Board member Kirk White expressed his gratitude for the work Hall put into this planning. We're in pretty good shape. Yes, sir. And that's a good place for us to be because, as I mentioned before, we've all talked about before, we don't ever want to end up like Flint, Michigan. Nope. <laughs> folks who, folks who didn't want, folks in our positions who didn't want to make tough choices, and. They pay the pay me now or pay me later. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. Board President Amanda Burnham asked if there was potential to reconstruct the bonds in the future. Hall responded. So another uh, strategy or something we consider it's called call call mm-hmm. protection. So um, we borrow money today on twenty year term, and let's say we put a five year call protection. That means you can't touch it, you can't refinance it for five years. Um, versus if we put 10 years, what happens is there's a trade-off though, because if you're buying a bond, right, and you buy it at a rate and you know it's locked in for 10 years, you're going to get a little better rate. You're going to pay a premium versus, so, so what I'm saying is there's a cost of buying a shorter call. And that's definitely in this current interest rate environment. I mean, historically know where we've been, it's trended up, it's, Maybe the new norm for who knows how long. I don't know, fortunately. But we're going to look at the cost of, of a 10-year call, an 8-year call, a 5-year call, knowing full well that the rates go back down. We want to be in a position to to restructure this and, and pay them off. So it's definitely um, something we, we look at when we're doing that. The board voted unanimously to recommend the sewer and stormwater bond. Utilities engineer Jane Fleeg requested the board's approval of Resolution 2023-20 to accept and award the bid for the Clear Creek culvert reconstruction from Dunn Street to Indiana Avenue. Kirk White asked when this reconstruction would be completed. Fleeg responded. Yeah, the, the, the contract timeline is 250 days from notice proceed for substantial completion. So if that started after the next board meeting, that would be the end of July would be substantial completion. And then final completion would be at the end of October. Later in the meeting, the board heard a request for the approval of Resolution 23-24, 
for the adoption of the revised Title 13 Stormwater Ordinance. Burnham thanked everyone for their work on this ordinance. Thank you to everybody for all of your hard work on this. I know Catherine's been involved with this. I know that Liz has. Chris, you've taken a, a lot of the... It's been the staff. I've, I've just watched. And, and I'm sure that with, with you gals, that there's also other people on the team that have helped. So without knowing those names, thank you um, for taking on this project. It was something that was probably added to your other duties as assigned. You weren't expecting it this uh, this go round <laughs> since it was something that was mandated by the state and we had to to get this in place. Um, so I pre we appreciate all of the work that you've done and the, and working with all of the departments. Um, hopefully this will be this will go through very well at the city council. So the ordinance was approved. The next utility service board meeting will be held on November 20th. In today's feature report, Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin reports on the usage of PDF files within city government. We turn to Askins for more. The B-Square Bulletin sends out an emailed morning bulletin every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can sign up for the morning bulletin by visiting bsquarebulletin.com and clicking on the tab labeled subscribe. Here's an entry from a recent edition. Monroe Convention Center Interlocal Agreement Wednesday's City Council Agenda. On the 6.30 p.m. meeting agenda for Bloomington City Council is the interlocal agreement between Bloomington and Monroe County about the Capital Improvement Board and the operation of the Convention Center expansion. Let's pause for a minute and ask, What's the best way for the City Council's staff to disseminate the interlocal agreement to the public so that we can review it and scrutinize it before the City Council votes on it? First, let's ask how the City Council staff currently approaches this task. Like the staff supporting all the City's boards and commissions, the Council staff piles all the background materials for a meeting agenda into a single PDF file. This week's City Council meeting information packet runs 139 pages. If I want to link B-Square readers to that interlocal agreement, I can just use the URL for the PDF, which means readers will have to wait for all 139 pages to load, then navigate their way through the whole PDF file to find the nine pages of the interlocal agreement. I can make it a little easier by using a bit of syntax added to the URL specifying the page to which the browser should scroll after the PDF loads. If I add pound sign page equals 54 to the URL, the whole 139 pages loads, but instantly scrolls to the right page. I generally do try to offer readers that kind of convenience. But even more convenient, if I'm just trying to disseminate the interlocal agreement, would be PDF file containing exactly the nine pages of the interlocal agreement. This has the added advantage of allowing machine search of just the interlocal agreement. Why would that matter? Let's say I want to look at all the parts of the agreement that involve a, quote, mutual 
action of the parties. If I use my browser to search the 139-page packet for the term mutual, I'm going to get some false positives that land me in one of the other three interlocal agreements that appear in the packet. If my browser has just a nine-page file loaded, my search will not take me beyond the interlocal agreement I am trying to scrutinize. For the last several months, I have been building city council agendas that display in a web browser as a standard HTML web page, but include links under each agenda item to exactly the individual PDF files that support the item. I have done that for this Wednesday's meeting agenda too. That means the nine-page interlocal agreement about the CIB is included as a link to a nine-page PDF file. I wish the City Council staff would take this same approach to the task of disseminating agendas and information to support those agendas, but it's not surprising that they don't. That's because the Council decided long ago that two of the three Council staff should be attorneys. It's not a part of an attorney's typical professional training or passion to think about the architecture of information systems or 